series of the book of James, and this is week three out of 11 weeks that we're doing this summer in the book of James. We have a reading plan that goes with the sermon series, and I encourage you, if you haven't gotten one already, pick one up on your way out. It's not too late. James is a short book. You can catch up with us even if you haven't started at all. You can also download this on our social media and on our website, and I encourage you to do that. Uh, this week after today, we'll be reading the rest of James chapter 2 that we don't get to today, and, um, and that'll go with next week's message as well. And so if you missed last week, I want to give you a brief recap, but I also want to encourage you, if you want to know more about the background and the history of the book of James, go back and listen to the last two weeks of sermons on Facebook or on our audio podcast. You can find those there. But uh, I'm going to just briefly recap a little bit. The uh, book of James was likely the very first book of the New Testament that was written during the persecution of the church just shortly after Jesus' death and resurrection. It was written by James the half-brother of Jesus, who didn't become a believer in Jesus as the Son of God until later in life. He didn't believe his own brother was the Son of God. But he ultimately became convinced to the point of becoming a writer of this book and ultimately to the point of being willing to give his life as a martyr for the gospel rather than to deny Christ. James was a leader and, uh, and, and for a lot of time the head of the uh, uh, leader of the early church. In fact, some people have said that his role in the early church is similar to that of the Pope today. Some people even argue that he may have been the first Pope without the title, but maybe that kind of leadership is what has evolved into the Pope of today. But church history tells us a lot about James. Uh, it tells us that he spent so much time in prayer that his knees were like the knees of camels because of the amount of time that he, that he spent in prayer. And so that's the author uh, of this book. That's who we're receiving this information from. And last week's sermon um, and reading dealt with not only being hearers of God's word, but more importantly, being doers of his word as well. And then James goes into some examples of, of ways that we need to be doers of the word. And he, he says that when it comes to anger issues, we need to not just be hearers, but doers when it comes to controlling our tongue and how we treat the helpless and the hopeless. And when it comes to moral purity, all these are areas that we need to not just be hearers, but we need to be doers. And he ended the chapter with a challenge that religion that God accepts as pure and faultless is to look after the orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Now, it's important to remember that when James wrote this letter, which is what it was, he didn't include the chapters and the verses. We've added that for organization and for reference purposes uh, after the fact. But when James wrote it, this was all one big flowing letter. So we, we ended chapter one and now we're on chapter two. But James had a continuation of thought. And in a lot of ways, um, what we're dealing with in chapter two is not as much a new idea as it is a continuation of the same letter, and he's making the case for continuing to imitate the character of God in looking after the helpless and the hopeless in society. And, uh, and immediately after he talks about that idea, he continues the letter with this thought. So this, as much as it's you know kind of a new thought, it's really a continuation of being uh, doers of the word and not hearers only. So we're in James chapter 2, verse 1 through 13. He says this, My brothers and sisters, Believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. That's the topic of what we're talking about today. And he goes on to illustrate it in verse 2. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. 
Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones that are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin, and you're convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at one point is guilty of breaking it all. For he who said you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery but you do commit murder, you become a lawbreaker. So speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. I want you to turn your attention to the screens this morning. I have a short video that will help us unpack what the scripture is talking about today. dad joke that it was a short video. I just don't appreciate all that I do for you. That song by Randy Newman came out in 1977, and it sounds to me pretty prejudiced against short people. How many of y'all feel like you don't appreciate that song very much? Well, Randy Newman, he, he defended the song saying 
that what he intended with the song was not to offend short people, but that instead he was talking about short-tempered people and people that were short on love. I don't know what that has to do with wearing platform shoes, if that was his point, but uh, I'll leave that between you and him. The reason I share this video with you today is not because... Well, it's because the passage of scripture that we were talking about from James chapter 2 is really talking about prejudice. And James doesn't use that exact words. He deals with it more from a place of preferential treatment for one certain class of people over another. Uh, but that's what we call prejudice. Prejudice is defined as a preconceived idea or a prejudgment that's made about somebody. Also an action or a judgment that results in harm or injury to a person such as a short person, right? And so when we read what James talks about in these first few verses of chapter 2, that's exactly what we have going on. It's evident from the language that James uses that these are situations and this problem of prejudice is something that's happening inside the church. James takes this, this subject that's rather difficult and he brings a lot of clarity um, to it that I believe is great for the people that James originally wrote this letter to. But I believe it also brings a lot of clarity to us because let's be real. I don't know how it was in AD 40, AD, not AD 40, but AD 40, when James wrote this letter. But if I were to ask who's prejudiced here today, probably not many people would say, yeah, I'm, I'm a prejudiced person. We all would say, no, I'm not prejudiced, you know, whatever. But there may be, when we examine our lives, when we examine the things that not, not only what we say that we believe, but the actions that we do, that there's actions and attitudes and activity in our life that, sh that doesn't belong. And so um, we're, 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 this is a really good topic that I believe can speak to us where we are in our culture because prejudice is not only something that was a problem then and that we no longer deal with it. We haven't graduated beyond this problem. We still deal with it. And if you look around our country or you read the headline news stories or if you're aware of what's going on in politics, this issue of prejudice and preferential treatment and inequality are big issues in our world today. Just this week, there was a video that went viral from Phoenix involving what at this point appears pretty strongly uh, to be police brutality against a pregnant mother of a minority race and her family. And it, it's, it's gone viral. There's all kinds of stuff that's going on about it. But that's a reality in our world today. The topic of immigration is a hot topic in our country. It's become a partisan issue, and the goal today is not for us to get into politics. And really, that has no bearing on what James is talking about. He's not talking about what happens outside the church, but he's talking about our attitude and our activity and our thoughts and the way that we handle things, our actions inside the church. And so we discussed last week that one of the things that James wants to make clear to believers is that there's a system of this world that wants to influence our lives. And then there's God's way. And James says that we have to keep ourselves from being polluted by the system of this world. So there are a lot of good organizations. There's a lot of good groups of people. There may be even some political parties that can have some good ideas, but God hasn't called us to be loyal to those groups of people or to those organizations or even to those political parties or political ideology or an economic system. We aren't called to be loyal Republicans or loyal Democrats or, or capitalists. That's how the disciples got it all wrong when Jesus was on earth. They thought that, that Jesus came to set up an earthly political system, that he was coming to be an earthly king, and so they were putting all of their eggs in that basket, and, and they found out that that's not God's intention at all. That wasn't the purpose of Jesus, and it's not our goal now. 
Jesus was not a political revolutionary that was to have an earthly kingdom. And so we, our job is not to create an earthly kingdom that's going to represent all of God's values or try to align with the one that's closest to him. Our, our goal in life is to see things through God's eyes, not through human eyes. The things that are going on in our world have to be seen through the lens of God's system and his way of doing things. We're to be loyal to, to him as our king and to his kingdom first and foremost before any earthly system and philosophy. That doesn't mean that there's not good ideas. That doesn't mean that we can't align ourselves with things that do agree with what the Bible says, but there's probably not going to be any earthly organization or group of people or political ideology that 100% aligns with who God is and what his word says. We're going to have to choose who we align ourselves with and how we do that. So when I say that prejudice is a big issue in our world today, and that some of the areas that, that get involved in this are hot-button issues, we have to be careful not to evaluate these things through earthly rationale and reasoning, but through God's kingdom perspective. And I think that James does a great job of challenging us to think correctly about these issues. And so there's four areas that I want to share with you today about prejudice, four cases that James makes that deal with prejudice in the church, and I want to share those with you today. And the first of those is that prejudice is inconsistent with God's word. James is talking to followers of Jesus Christ. He's saying that these are instructions for Christ followers. He's not talking about people outside the church. His audience is very targeted. And he says that we must not show favoritism. The words that are used here that, that are translated in English to favoritism literally mean to take at face. Now, when, when we say something similar in our culture, we say to take at face value, that's a little different than what's meant here. What they mean here by to take at face is that they're making predetermined judgments based on what they see on the surface. It's more along the lines of reading, uh, of judging a book by its cover, right? Mm -hmm. And so these predetermined judgments that are based on what's seen on the surface, it could be based on the color of one's skin. It could be uh, based on the clothes that a person wears. It could be because they're short people. In this case, James uses the example of a poor person and a rich person, but this applies beyond that. It could be social status. It could be anything that causes you to make a predetermination based on what you see. We will often say that you can't judge a book by its cover, and we say that many times, but how many times do all of us, if we're honest, have a tendency to make our first reaction based on what we see on the outside. I mean, the Bible tells us God judges based on what's in the heart, mm -hmm. but man judges based on the appearance, based on what's on the outside. And we do that, and that, that's, that's a part of being a human. We have to assess every situation, every person that we come in contact with. And so the initial assessment isn't really what James is getting at. What he's really getting at is the action that's taken after the fact. Because as humans, we're going to, at times, Make rash judgments and decisions based on what we see because we're human, because we can't know the heart of a person. Mm -hmm. But the action that's taken after that is really the heart of what James is trying, trying to get at. And James gives this example of a wealthy person who comes into a church meeting and, and they've got nice clothes and they've got all the external appearances of success. And then a poor man comes in that's dressed in filthy old clothes and James compares and contrasts the way that each of these people is treated. And then he asks the question, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Mm -hmm. When we make face value judgments about people in God's eyes, that's evil. 
And some of us has been raised with some of that in our lives. Some of us have been on the receiving end of some of that. Some of us have likely treated others this way as well. But James says that that kind of discrimination and prejudice, just even the thought of it, is evil in the eyes of God. And James goes on to ask another question. Has God not chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom that he promised to those who loved him? In other words, it doesn't matter if you're wealthy. It doesn't matter if you're poor. In God's eyes, you all inherit the same kingdom. You're all on equal ground. You all have the same opportunity in Christ to be rich in him regardless of your social status, regardless of what you have in your bank account, regardless of how you dress. What James is saying here is that when you look at God's interaction with people, and I believe he's even referencing that when you look at the life of Christ, a person's lack of material worth did not prevent them become, from becoming rich in faith and acquiring all that God had for them. God's word has consistently taught against prejudice. We mentioned last week how in many ways James is a parallel of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And in Matthew chapter 5, uh, when you read the Sermon on the Mount, this is one of those instances where likely James knows that his readers will remember what Jesus said when he said things like, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And you could continue to read those verses of Matthew chapter 5 and see many parallels from this chapter. Not only from the Sermon on the Mount, but also in the Old Testament law, Leviticus chapter 19, where the law was given, there was, there was, a, there was a commandment in the Old Testament that, that really equated prejudice and favoritism with perverting justice it's and it was commanded not to pervert justice by showing favoritism either to the poor or to the great and not to hold a grudge against people different but to love your neighbor as yourself this was the commandment that was given through moses and the people knew it well but they weren't observing it proverbs 22 verse 2 says the rich and the poor have this in common the lord is the maker of them all when we show favoritism towards one person, when we discriminate against another person, we are, we are discriminating against someone who's been made in the image of God. Malachi 3.5 says that this, that God says, I will be swift to bear witness against those who press the hired workers in their wages, who disregard the orphan and the widow, and against those who thrust aside the alien and do not fear me. Remember that James had just talked about how we treat the orphan and the widow, and, and that th these passages were well-known passages of Scripture by the audience that he was talking to. Mm -hmm. Now, at the time that this was written in A.D. 40, we didn't have the story of Peter and Cornelius, but we today do have the benefit of that story. In Acts chapter 10, we have, we have this story where Peter, who's this incredible guy that we look up to, founder of churches, author of, of books of the Bible, but he struggled with these racial issues. And if you remember, God had to appear to him in a vision to tell him that the gospel was not just for the Jews, but that God's plan of salvation was for everybody. And then God sent Cornelius to Peter, Cornelius being a Gentile. And Peter was able to lead him and his family to Christ. God has been consistent about prejudice and favoritism. He welcomes all people. All are at the same level in his kingdom without preference toward one or another. Discrimination and prejudice are no respecters of people. All people can be discriminated against. All people can be prejudiced against someone else. This isn't just a black and white problem or an Anglo and Hispanic issue. Prejudice is seen in white people that have money and how they treat white people that don't have money. 
It can be conservative thinking versus liberal thinking. It can be older people versus younger people. When I lived in Africa, it was black people against less black people, lighter skinned black people. People that live on, on uh, the island of Dominican Republic and Haiti, these two different people groups that are so similar in so many ways, yet they're so opposed and contradictory and discriminatory against each other, even though they live on the same island. These are issues in our world today. When I grew up in Africa, originally we lived in, in a big city, and, and I use that term very loosely, a big city like the size of Laramie, um, in Equatorial Guinea, the, the biggest city in the country at the time, and we started a Bible school and a church there, but the, really the majority of the people lived in the jungles and the little villages, but none of the pastors wanted to go there. So my dad said, fine, we will move into the middle of the jungle. We'll go where, where the people are. And so we did, we, we moved from the city and, and the city at that time, there were several dozen white people that were there that lived in the city. So we weren't really that much of a novelty, a little bit, but really not, not a whole lot. But when we moved into the jungle, we moved into Niafong, Equatorial Guinea, try to find that on the map. I'll give you some time. I'll give you to the end of service. Good luck. Um, we moved in this little village of just a, a several hundred people. And I remember uh, being the first white person that many people had seen. What a letdown that must have been. Um, <laughs> sorry, I don't represent the whole race. I'm sorry that I'm the first one that you have to interact with. Uh, and the people were super wel welcoming. They were super uh, embracing of, of us being there and they loved what was going on, even if they didn't uh, believe and agree with the reason that we were there, but they wanted to know about our culture and they wanted to embrace us. But the language that they spoke was Fong and they didn't have a word for white person because when this language was, was made, there wasn't such a thing known to them. And so they had to come up with a word to call us. And so they called us Antangan. Everyone say Antangan. Now you speak Fong. So uh, if you go to Central Africa, you'll know how to say the word that they use for, for, for white person. But this word actually means the person whose skin has never seen the sun. <laughs> and that's what they would call us. We'd be walking through the markets. We'd be going around town. Oh, one tongan. You know, the boy whose skin has never seen the sun. And that's what I would hear everywhere that I went. And, and that was just what they called us. And they really, there was a, a little bit of, of truth in their thinking that they, they thought that the reason that we were white is because we didn't work outside and they worked outside all the time. And so they had been baked a little bit. And so that's why, that's what they thought. And so uh, it wasn't really bent in a prejudiced way, but I remember growing up being called Antangan everywhere that I went. <laughs> These are issues that, that we face in our world because there's differences. Mm -hmm. And the reality of the situation is that the church has not always been on the right side of this thing. The early church in the Bible struggled with people that weren't Jews like Peter and Cornelius that we talked about. The church in America has struggled, and the reason that we've struggled is because early on we adopted cultural ideas like segregation instead of biblical ideas. And we allowed those to shape our ideas, and as a result, the church has struggled in the area of becoming multicultural. Sunday mornings should not be the most segregated time in our country. Our churches should look like heaven. I'm going to move on. Let's get really quiet in here. <laughs> Prejudice, the second thing that James points out is that prejudice is an insult to the person that God loves. James uses the example of a poor person and he makes a statement, you have dishonored the poor. Then James asks the questions, is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones that are blaspheming the noble name of him 
to whom you belong. Now, it can sound here like James is discriminating against rich people, and that's really not what's going on. James' idea that he wants to present is that all people are in equal standing with God. But let me explain to you a little bit about what was going on in the culture. Similar to our culture today, it was mostly wealthy people in society that had positions of authority and influence and leadership in the cities and and, and in government. Have you ever tried to run for public office? If you have, you probably know that it costs a lot of money to make a legitimate run, even for a small local position of authority. So what happens in our world, and also in the world they were in, is that we end up with people who either have a lot of money or people who owe their entire lives to people that have a lot of money. And those are the people that make decisions in our country oftentimes and in in the world that James was living in and writing to. And the majority of our Congress today are either multimillionaires or they're funded by multi-billionaires on both Republican and Democrat sides. So, So the church was living in a similar world with a system where rich people were making all the decisions in society. And the decisions that they had been making recently when James writes this letter was to decide that mostly that the church was a problem and needed to be driven out and persecuted. And, and yet, even though these wealthy people were in government and making these decisions and persecuting the church, when a rich person came to church, they were treated preferentially, and the poor people, which is most of what the believers were at that time, were discriminated against. And James is pointing out exactly how ridiculous that that is, that the very group of people that's causing you problems, the very group of people that's discriminating against you, that's that's uh, that's that's doing all these things that he describes, that's the people that you're treating better than anyone else when they come into your meeting. They're dragging you to court. They're falsely accusing you. They're even blaspheming the name of Christ, but yet you treat them like royalty. Yesterday, I got the chance to spend some time with Paul Miller, who goes to church here. Some of you know Paul. He comes to the early service. And uh, we went to Estes Park, and we drove around through Rocky Mountain National Park, and through the mountains, and I noticed something on that trip yesterday that just did not make sense to me. Probably in the same way that James is looking at what go, what's going on in the church and saying, how in the world is this happening? This doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. I noticed people that had taken a Saturday to drive to a national park, but they were in such a hurry driving through the park that they were missing all the beauty of the park itself. I assume that the reason that you go to a national park on a Saturday, maybe I'm mistaken, is because you want to see something, you want to slow down, and you want to see something a little different than what you're going to see in downtown Denver or even in Laramie. That's why we went. We wanted to see some wildlife. We wanted to see some different kinds of things, things that we wouldn't normally get to see. But what was happening is that there were people that were speeding through it, and you'd have thought that we were going five miles an hour in an 80-mile-per-hour zone because people were just about ready to, to ride us off the road. But what, we're, what we were doing was we were looking at elk. We were looking at a, at a cow moose with her calf. That's why we were there. But these other people were, were speeding right by, trying to get through it or get to the end. I don't understand. It didn't make sense that someone would go there and rush through and miss the very purpose of why you're there. And, and I think it's equally as confusing to James why this situation is happening in the church. He says, if you just stop and look at what you're doing, when it comes to this issue of prejudice, you'll see that what you're doing doesn't make sense at all. The people that you are favoring are mistreating you. And you're insulting people that God loves 
and that he died for. You're dishonoring poor people that are made in God's image. God has chosen the poor, but you've dishonored and rejected them in a public way, and you've inexplicably chosen to favor the people that have caused you the most problems. When we treat people in an inferior manner, we're not only insulting the person themselves, but we're insulting a person that's made in God's image. We're insulting God himself. And so many times, if we look at the rationale behind why we treat people the way that we do, it just doesn't make sense. Maybe it's our background. Maybe that's the way that we were raised. Maybe we repeat comments that we heard growing up. I don't know what it is, but oftentimes when we treat people the wrong way, it doesn't, there's really not a reason for it. The third thing that James points out is that prejudice is an infraction of God's royal law. You say, well, how does that matter? You already talked about how it's, it's inconsistent with the scripture. Well, James begins to talk about something here that can cause a little bit of, of confusion if we're not careful. When he talks about the perfect law and he, he talks about uh, God's royal law and all these different things. And what he's doing is he's making a difference between the Old Testament law and the law that Jesus gave. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 22, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. This is God's royal or his perfect law. That's what James is talking about. He mentions it there in the verses that we read earlier. So he tells them, because they're, they're like you and I are, I'm not prejudiced. How can I be prejudiced? So he gives them these examples and he tells them, if you're guilty of breaking one part of the law, then you're guilty of breaking it all. Because they, they as their Jewish background, didn't want to be lawbreakers. That was, that, that was the worst insult that it could be said about them. And so he tells them, since you've shown prejudice, you're guilty of breaking the law. And you've also broken God's royal law by not loving your neighbor as yourself. God's royal law is that we're to love God and love people. It's not about treating one person better than another. It's about treating all people the way that we want to be treated. God values all people equally, no matter what they look like on the outside, no matter if they prefer to eat sandwiches for lunch or tacos. I prefer tacos. No matter how much money they have or they don't have. And I think sometimes this prejudice can even extend to the people that we dislike and we disagree with. Sometimes we just treat people poorly because we don't like their ideas. And here's the reality is that God still created that person and God still loves that person. The ideas may be wrong and our ideas may be right, but if we treat them wrong, we're still wrong. We've broken God's royal law because God's commanded us not to go into all the world and be right, but he's commanded us to love God and love people. And God models this for us in that he hates sinful actions, but he loves sinful people. And we don't have to love the actions, but we have to love the person. Mm -hmm. Galatians 5.14 says the, the entire law could be summed up in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Oh, but I don't support what they, they support. They don't have the right political views. They don't look like what I look like. They keep speaking a different language. Do you still have to love them? Yes. The final thing that James shares with us is that prejudice is imposing judgment without mercy. James says that instead of this preferential treatment, we should speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone that has not been merciful. I want to make it really simple for us today. How do you want God to deal with you in your areas of weakness? Do you want God to be merciful or do you want him to judge you in a merciless manner? Because if you want mercy, then you have to be willing to extend 
mercy to other people. And James is, is talking specifically when it comes to people that are different, to people that, that we have a tendency to treat preferentially, to people, people that we have a, a tendency to discriminate against. So how can we as a church speak and act this way? Remember, James is still under this idea of being doers of the word and not hearers only. And that's why he says, speak and act as people that are doing this. So how can we, 2019, New Life Assembly of God, how can we in our lives and our families speak and act in this way? Well, there's three areas, and these may not be a comprehensive list, but these are three areas that I want to share with you today. Number one is to be free of financial prejudice. In your life, you should not allow money to influence your decisions or those with money to have special influence in your life. Luke 12, 15 says, Be on guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. It doesn't match up well with the American dream. But once again, that's not God's idea. Do what's right, whether it's financially advantageous or not. Do what's right. As a church... Financial position does not influence the role uh, of this church or the work of this church or the decisions of this church or the actions of this church. Decisions that our leaders make are based on what God would have us to do and what is the right thing for this church. Never on pleasing or appeasing a person or because of financial gain. God doesn't look at the amount that's given. He hasn't called us to give the same amount. He's called us to be obedient in our giving. The biblical pattern is 10%. My 10% is going to be different than your 10%, but it's the same in God's eyes because it's the heart that he looks at. What God is looking at more than the amount that's given is the heart with which it's given. Are you giving cheerfully with the heart of obedience? As your pastor, I, I do not make it a point to know who gives what amount or anything like that. I do pray weekly for those that give faithfully that God would increase their finances and bless their lives. And I can pray that without having to know who those people are because God knows. And so I do that regularly. I do that every week, just about. I pray that God, would you, would you bless those people that are being obedient and faithful to your word? Would you increase their finances? Why wouldn't we want them? If someone's being faithful and giving to God, why wouldn't God want to increase their finances? I'll move on because it's getting quiet again. The second thing is free of racial prejudice. Scripture's clear on this. Jesus set a great example of this. And I love what happens in Acts chapter 11. It's easy to overlook this. Just in Acts chapter 10, we'd seen the story of Peter and Cornelius. And right after that, in Acts chapter 11, verse 26, that's the first time that Christ's followers are ever called by the word Christians. And it happens at a place called Antioch. Well, a couple chapters later, in Acts chapter 13, there's a description of the people that are the leaders that make up the church of Antioch. And I love this list of people. And you can you can read over it because it's just names that don't really mean a whole lot to us. But let me share with you the list of people that are, that are leaders of the church of Antioch, the very first place where Christians were called Christians. The first list of people on the, on the list is the people of Antioch. So these are Gentile people. Already, chapter 10, Peter wasn't okay with, with Gentiles. Then Jesus shows them this vision. Chapter 11, they're called Christians. Chapter 13, Gentiles are in leadership in the church. I love it. Then it, it lists Barnabas. Barnabas is a Jew. Then there's Simeon, who was called Niger. And he was called that because he was a black man. So in the very first place where Christians were called Christians, and they're put in leadership in a church, they had a black person in the leadership of their church. Then there was Lucius of Cyrene, and scholars believe that he had been a slave. 
There's a person that's a slave that's in leadership in the church. Then there's Main, who is of aristocratic family, and there's Saul, who becomes Paul. And Saul was a Jew, but he also had Roman citizenship. All these people from different backgrounds, from different walks of life, that looked different, that spoke differently, that probably would not have gotten along in any other place in society, they're leading God's church together. I don't think that's there by accident. I've had people tell me, and, and they're well-meaning people, and they've just been, been kind of talking out of a, a pragmatic standpoint. They've suggested that if we, all, if we had all black churches and all white churches and all Spanish churches, then couldn't we better evangelize that way because it's more challenging for a church to try to do all things, to try to reach out to people of different cultures and backgrounds and all that kind of thing. So they've, they've tried to make the point that isn't it, isn't it good to have an all-black church and, and an all-white church? And here's the problem. That's ungodly and unscriptural in every way. Mm-hmm. What Christ teaches is that we shouldn't even look at those things when it comes to reaching people for Christ. That's one thing that I love about what God is doing at New Life. We have a couple people that are from Wyoming. Not very many. I don't know. We just, we're like a foreign border church. Wyoming people stay away from us. But we have a few lifelong Wyoming people. And we've got all these weird, strange Texas people that go to church here. And we have people from lots of different states. We have some Oklahoma people, and, and they have here with some of their family today. We're excited to have them today. And we have African people, and I'm not talking about African-American people. I'm talking about people from Africa. We have Indian people, we have German people, we have Hispanic people. Gloria a Dios. I was waiting on you, man, Henry, come on. We have people that are working people and retired people. We have young people and older people. We have conservative people. We have liberal people. We have people with tattoos and people that would never even entertain the thought of putting a tattoo on their body. We have all these different people. And the thing that I love is that what unites us is bigger than what divides us. I don't ever hesitate to invite anyone to new life because I don't have to worry about if they'll be welcomed. Unfortunately, I can't even begin to tell you how rare that is in the church world today. But it is sad and and it is rare. But I love that new life is starting to look like heaven. The third area that I want to challenge you in is the area of spiritual prejudice. This is one we don't think about a lot, but I want to touch on it briefly. Luke 9.49 says, Master, said John, we saw someone driving out demons in your name and we tried to stop him. Why did they try to stop him? Because he is not what? He's not one of us. Jesus said, do not stop him for whoever's not against you is for you. Sometimes we have spiritual prejudice. We think of ourselves as being better than other people or a level ahead of other people or spiritually advanced of people that don't get it like we do. And this can have to do with how we compare ourselves with other people within our own church. It can have to do with the way that we view people from other churches and other religions. Why does, why does that person get to do that role in the church when I'm way more qualified than that person as I could do a way better job, right? And then we can compare ourselves to people that are in the body of Christ but are not in our church. You know what? There's some denominations that are different than ours and churches that are different but the true Christ followers from almost every different kind of church, with very few exceptions, are gonna end up in heaven. The true Christ followers from every church, every denomination, just just about, and it's gonna be the same heaven. 
and God's kingdom is more important than our empire. And God's not going to make the Baptists, I picked on Baptists last week, but God's not going to make the Baptists stick to their side of heaven. He's not going to make the Nazarenes have their road and the Assemblies of God have their road and all those kinds of stuff. That's not the way that it works. We're one body. We're one family. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. We're not spiritually superior to anyone. One of our values of, of our church, of new life, is that we believe that we're just one part of God's work in Laramie. We're one small part of God's work. There's many others. There's many other great ones that are doing what God's called them to do, and together we can reach the city. I love that we're an Assembly of God church. We should be proud of our spiritual heritage. The Assemblies of God is one of the largest churches in the world, and it is the largest Pentecostal church. It's the fastest growing church in the world. We have 69.1 million people that are part of the Assemblies of God worldwide. And I grew up in the Assemblies of God, but I want you to know that we aren't perfect. The Assemblies of God isn't perfect, and it's not the only thing that God's using. I'm proud to be a part of it, but you know what? Nazarenes are okay too. Foursquare is all right. Baptists are okay too. And when I look at Jesus' prayer in John 17, he prayed that we, his followers, would be one. We don't have to be in one building. We don't have to worship the same way. We can have different styles. That's okay, but we're family. That we would be one in heart and in spirit. That we would be one. And he said, if we could have that kind of unity, the world would see that there's something different about us and they would know that we truly are his disciples. But unfortunately, the world doesn't know too often because too often we're not one. Too often we allow the things that divide us to be bigger than the things that, that really should unite us. I want to sum up all of these things. Galatians chapter 3, verse 26 says this. So in Christ Jesus, you who are children of God through faith, for all of you who are baptized into Christ Jesus have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew or Gentile. There is neither slave or free. There is neither male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What does that mean? It means today that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. We all have the same opportunity. God extends the same thing to each and every one of us. The only difference is the choices that we make. And one day we're going to stand before God and we're going to give an account to Him for our choices that we make. I don't have to give an account to you. Now a brother could sharpen a brother's iron and, and hold each other accountable and all those kinds of things, but we're not put in a place of becoming judges. In fact, James says when we judge other people incorrectly, it's an evil thought. God views it as evil. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. The challenge from James is to not only hear this message, but to live it out. So how can you live out this message this week? Well, I have some questions for you. Is there someone that you've pushed away or that you've kept at a distance that maybe you need to reach out to them? Is there someone that you've criticized or highlighted their differences instead of finding the common ground? Is there a neighbor that you've struggled to love, and in doing so, you violated God's royal law of loving your neighbor as yourself. Maybe it's a rich neighbor, maybe it's a poor neighbor, maybe it's a Muslim neighbor, or a black neighbor, or a Spanish-speaking neighbor, a Mormon neighbor, or maybe even an illegal immigrant. Whatever it is, is there a neighbor that you really haven't loved? Don't just hear the message, live it out, put it into action this week. 
I want to pray for us today. God, I thank you today that you are no respecter of persons. God, I thank you that you treat us equally and you treat us according to your mercy, not according to what we deserve. God, today we repent for attitudes and actions that have not honored you and have not honored the people that have been made in your image. I pray that from this moment forward that we would begin to speak and act as those who will be judged by the law that gives freedom and by a God who gives mercy. God, we're so in need of your mercy, so God, help us to be the most merciful and forgiving people. I pray that the way that we treat other people would be a testimony to those around us and that they would see the love of God in our lives. I pray for our interactions with people that are different than us, people that believe differently than us, that think differently than us, that act differently than us. God, let us treat them as we desire to be treated. God, I pray that they would see the love of God in our words, in our actions, and that our lives would match the things that we say that we believe. God, help us to be not only hearers of your word, but doers. I pray that as you've spoken to different people on different levels and God, maybe even convicted of some wrong attitudes or some wrong actions that have happened in the past, that God, we would, we would make changes, that we would not allow this inconsistency to exist within our church or within our lives outside this church. Help us to be known as the people that love God and that love our neighbor as ourselves. And in doing that, God, let us impact this city and make a difference in Laramie for you. We thank you for it. 